iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Yo, technology, what is it all about? That is the sound of bees, 50,000 of them. And I am in a bee suit, swarmed by angry insects, standing next to a giant almond orchard in central California. As you can hear, the bees were not very happy to be disturbed. You can hear them kamikazeing every now and then into the microphone. So what am I doing here? Long-term listeners of Danny in the Valley will recall that around this time last year, we had on a guy called Matias Viel, a 28-year-old from Argentina who's the founder of a startup called Beeflow. And Beeflow had created compounds that helped bees be better pollinators. They flew longer, pollinated more flowers during a given window, and could even be trained to pollinate certain flowers based on the formulation of these special superfoods that Beeflow had created. Basically, what they were working on was trying to create, in a way, bionic bees. And that is potentially a big deal, because bees pollinate roughly a third of all crops. And in America alone, they power some $20 billion of food production annually. And the problem, as you may be aware, is that bees are dying in record numbers. Colonies are collapsing for a variety of reasons, though no one is sure exactly why. So Beeflow is just one company that is trying to help address this crisis. Now, a few listeners have suggested that we return to past guests every now and then to see how they were doing or how they're getting on since they'd been on the show. So that is what we did this week with Matias. So I got up at the crack of dawn, drove two and a half hours into the heart of California almond country, which produces 80% of all almonds in the world, to catch up with Matias, which is what you are going to hear right now. So we did an interview in the cab of Matias's SUV next to all those glorious almond trees. Then we went out, walked through the orchards. We saw the, the bees themselves, etc. So is this just empty? This, it has a frame, but what... And then... Yeah, there, there are probably eggs. Well, there, there's pollen here. You can, you can see... Can you see there that it's something white yeah. or yellowish? Yeah, yeah. That's pollen that they have collected and they store it. So you are about to hear that conversation and just a heads up after that conversation with Matias, we'll have a quick chat with Morgan Wolf of Wolf Farming, which is the family company that runs the orchard we visited. So... 
We'll talk to him from the farmer's perspective about what is happening with bees and pollination and how they're trying to address it. So basically, after this pod, you'll never think of almond milk or almonds or blueberries or almost any fruit the same way again. Thanks for being on the podcast again. Thank you very much. I'm <laughs> glad to see you. It's been two years. Uh, that's scary if it's been that long. But yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> so can you just describe where we are? We are in a beautiful almond farm on our way to Yosemite, actually, uh, close by Modesto and Merced up in the mountains beautiful trees in the peak of bloom uh, having bees pollinating these flowers. So when you were on this podcast a year and a half, two years ago, we talked about what bee flow does, but could you just give a quick refresher and and also describe why it is important or what is happening in the kind of the industry? Bee flow is an ag tech company that works with bees to increase crop yields to farmers Basically, we understand that pollination has been an underestimated topic by agriculture. There has been a lot of innovation in plant genetics, the use of of water more efficiently, pesticides, lots of innovations. However, pollination has been forgotten. And we are increasing yields to farmers by improving bees' performance while pollinating crops. And we do that by understanding better bees' biology and how they interact with flowers and basically feeding bees with plant-based molecules that we found that they can enhance their immune system and make them work better under colder temperatures. And we're also being able to train bees to pollinate specific target crops by conditioning their memory. And so there are some crops that are not that attractive to bees, like blueberries. We are making bees have more attraction to blueberry flowers by understanding how is their behavior while pollinating those flowers. So in the last two years, we have been growing a lot. Our headquarters are based in LA. And yeah, because we met before we were in San Francisco. Yeah, we were in San yeah, Francisco, yeah. yeah. We were at, at IndieBio's uh, program, Accelerator Biotech program for startups in San Francisco. And after that, we graduated from IndieBio. We, we raised uh, $3 million from Allspray Ag Sciences, which is one of the leading ag tech venture capital firms in the U.S. After that, we decided to build our headquarters in L.A. Uh, and we have a team of 12 people. And we're working with really large farming companies that understand that pollination has been forgotten and there, that there's a world of opportunities to produce more food with less resources. With, because basically, because if you can produce more pounds of almonds per acre with the same amount of water use, you're using less water per pound, basically, right. or less land per pound produced by tackling an issue that has been forgotten, which is pollination. And so these formulations, is it basically like a, a syrup or something? Yeah, we, we add these, these molecules to 
to the regular sugar syrup that beekeepers use gotcha. to feed the bees. And we found that there were some challenges that pollination was, was happening, but farmers were not aware of them, or if they were aware, they didn't know that they could manage them and they could do right. something to improve their pollination. What is like the potential improvement if you're putting this kind of like a five-hour energy drink into their <laughs> into their syrup? What is the what is the result? Like sure. How, how much does that change what their bees are doing? Yeah. No, like going to step back. Seventy percent of global crops depend on bee pollination. Yeah. Which is a lot. Most of the fruits and vegetables that we have in our in in our food are being pollinated by by bees. So. By feeding bees with these compounds on, on our formulation to enhance bees' immune system, we can make them work better under cold temperatures, which means that usually bees start working after 55 degrees Fahrenheit, and we're making bees start working by 45 degrees Fahrenheit, and which is almost right. one or two hours early than average uh, beehive start. So they're collecting more pollen, and they're delivering more pollen to the flowers, which means that more pollen being deposited in a flower uh, can increase not only the amount of quantity of fruits produced per tree, yeah. but also the size of the fruit. Because right. more pollen being deposited means more seeds being developed in the fruit, and more seeds means larger fruits. So we have been doing trials in the last four years where we found increases of between 20 to 90% crop yields by right. managing pollination at the bee flow way. Is there a problem... If you're basically having bees work harder, it's like, you know, if you or I, you know, are workaholics and work 80-hour weeks instead of 40-hour weeks, <laughs> we're going to die sooner or we're going to be less healthy. Are there any issues like that with bees? No. We're tackling bees' health as an issue that is not being addressed, in our opinion, correctly. We understand that there is a strong relationship between healthier bees and bees that can perform better. Let's think about us as humans. If our immune system is depressed, are we going to work hard probably at cold temperatures? Probably we won't have that much energy to yeah. perform as well as we could do if we were healthier. So bees pollinating almonds, it's a very interesting behavior because almonds are almost the first crop that blooms in California after winter. Right. And winter is the worst time for bees to survive. In the U.S. last year, uh, the USDA reported a 40% loss of bees' population. 4-0. Yeah. After winter. Wow. And the reason is bees are being exposed to pesticides all over the year and lots of other things and diseases and varroa mites and threats that affect their health. So when winter comes, the the winter stresses their immune system and they cannot survive that much. So right. when they need to come and pollinate the, the almond trees, they're not that healthy. Right. Uh, so tackling bees' health, it's extremely important to have a successful almond pollination. Can you talk about what's happened? Because basically, if I'm a farmer, if I own this farm, that which we're looking out on from your car right now, rows and rows and rows of almond trees, I need to get bees to come and pollinate these. Yes. So I obviously would go, I guess I would rent some bee boxes. Correct. 
given what you just talked about with like the kind of colony collapses and losing bee population, what has happened to I presumably I presume that the price of bees has gone up? Yes. By like how much? It was like almost 10 years ago it was probably roughly between 50 to 100 dollars and right now it's above 200 dollars per beehive per beehive. So and farmers use roughly 2 beehives per acre. There are some that use 2.5 and there are others that they cannot find beehives to pollinate their trees so they end using just one beehive per acre because there are not enough beehives in the US. I'm saying the US because bees from all over the US are being moved to California in February to pollinate 80% of the almonds in the world that are being grown here. So so in February, there's this m- massive move of gl- the global bee population to where we are right now. Exactly. From Florida, Texas, Chicago, almost everywhere in the U.S., every beekeeper brings their bees to make the most of their money from the almond pollination. And why almonds in particular? Beekeepers make a lot of money with almonds. Right. Uh, they make much more money with almond pollination than when with honey production. Decades ago, beekeepers grow their bees to produce honey. And suddenly, because of monocultive practices, thousands of acres of the same crop, the removal of natural ecosystems that could host or be the houses of these wild bees, they all disappeared for these intensive agriculture practices that we humans designed to produce fruit. So because of that, suddenly farmers realized that there were no bees in their farms, that all the wild bees that were in nature pollinating their trees were gone. So they started thinking, okay, I need to get some bees here. Who can I call? And they said, okay, let's call beekeepers. So they started renting bees to beekeepers. This wasn't common at all. And even there are countries in the world where this is not happening yet because there's so much nature yet and wild bees that this is not needed. But... Other parts in the world need it, and that's why California is, is leading, we can say in a positive or negative yeah, way, yeah, yeah, yeah. this rental of hives to pollinate trees. Wow. So it's like big business, in other words, bees. Yes. And so I see there's some boxes down here in front of us, and they just come out when, they're, when it gets to 55 degrees, for example. Yes. They just kind of come out and start doing their thing in the trees here. So I'm the owner here. There's my bees. But there's a field right on my right that is my rival farm's trees. What's to keep them from just going over there? They will go over there. And there are there are challenges where, where your neighbor do not put any bees because they know that you have bees in your field. Right. And bees can fly up to two miles easily. So there are a lot of issues on really challenges that farmers are having uh, to optimize pollination. Mm. Because when you think about how farmers measure their pollination performance, they have no answers. Like you ask them and they say, oh, I just check if I have good bees. But how do you know if those bees are going to your trees? Right. Or 
somewhere else. So we have developed our own methods. I was going to say, so how do you, I mean, because these are giant, this is a giant field in front of us. How are you going to measure, if you bring your bees here, Yeah. what they're doing? Exactly. Aside from just like the fruit, you know, whatever, two months from now sure. or whatever it is. So in ag industry today, farmers are measuring pollination by colony strength by the beehive strength. They open a hive, and if they see a lot of bees, they yeah. think, okay, I'm having a good pollination, which actually is not true. Okay. And the reason is because pollination as a definition is bees moving pollen from the male part of the flower to the female one in order to make that flower reproduce. Right. That's pollination. Yeah. So in order to understand if the bees are pollinating the flowers, you need to measure that. To measure that event happening. Yeah, yeah. So we measure that by doing what we call bee visitation frequency. This is done traditionally by ecologists or bee biologists or bee pollination biologists or ecologists who, who study the interaction between bees and flowers. Yeah. And this let us understand basically how many visits a flower is getting per hour. Gotcha. And at different regions in the field, we monitor what's the bee visitation frequency. So is that basically standing next to a tree? Yeah, and counting bees for X amount of minutes at different locations. We are doing this with people, but we are launching soon a prototype of a camera with computer vision that can count bees remotely and give us that information to a phone to understand what's going on uh, if we need to... Um, increased amount of bees that right. per acre or what what's basically going on with the interaction between bees and flowers. Do you have a sense of like, if you're stepping back and you're talking about the history of like, you know, it didn't used to be that you'd have to like rent bees and, you know, have the entire bee population to rush to California to do this type of stuff. Do you see this as long, long-term sustainable? Is this just like the new reality, as you say, it was, you know, certain regions just become a monoculture of whether it's strawberries or almonds or blueberries or whatever it may be? Do you see this long term as a sustainable model? No. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the answer? And I, I mean, because also, I mean, your business is about kind of serving that current model. Yes, and no, uh, we are hired by by large farming companies as Wolf Farming here or as Driscoll's, which is the largest berry grower in the world, to maximize their pollination. And to maximize pollination, you cannot rely on managing only honeybees. Yeah, and you cannot rely on managing honeybees with just a single crop blooming uh, in one single acre you need to restore nature mm. and that means on our vision uh, bringing back what was happening here probably 30 years ago where there were other flowers blooming at the same time as the almond trees and mm-hmm. uh, other wildflowers where there were other wild pollinators blooming at this uh, pollinating sorry at, at the same time as as honeybees so we we believe ultimately each farmer will have the amount of honeybees plus other type of bees because there are 20,000 bee species in the world uh, um, there's 20,000 bee species yeah i did not know that yeah 
And so what you're dealing with is a certain type of honeybee. We're working with honeybees, yeah. which is called Apis mellifera. It's okay. a scientific name. Yeah. That's one species. Got you. But bumblebees, for example, yeah. are other bee species that have lots of bee species. Like there are different yeah. types of bees of bumblebees, basically. Right, right, right. We believe ultimately farmers will turn into a into a different model, and we're actually starting to make this happen, basically, because the way bee flow works is we're not renting hives to farmers. Uh, we charge farmers a fixed price per acre plus a revenue share on increased yields. Gotcha. This is completely disruptive in the way of farmers are not thinking on how many boxes I want to have in my farm or paying for every single box. Yeah. They pay a fee per acre. And we maximize pollination by using maybe less boxes per acre or maybe using other bee species than, than honeybees or combining right. them because we found that and there's research that validates that having more than one bee species poll- pollinating the trees generates competition of resources uh, so they work harder uh, because gotcha. they know that there are more other bees uh, looking for the same pollen that they're looking for at the trees so on our left is this big almond field on our right is a field with just it smells like some cows were here recently yeah <laughs> but the idea would be to kind of so what you're talking about is more kind of a re, a restoration of natural environments but that i just don't see how that would happen if you know you have a some landowner here who's using this for his cows with kind of what's in it for him you know yeah of course there are farmers uh and actually this company is 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 doing this uh, there are farmers, not in this farm actually, but there are farmers that plant hedgerows of wildflowers mm. in between the almond trees and surrounding their their farms in order to promote other resources for bees uh, that will attract other bee species. If we actually drive in this farm to the far end, uh, there are some wildflowers that they planted on purpose right. to attract other bee species uh, in order to promote pollinators health and have this somehow restoration this right. is just the beginning of this there's a trend there's research coming out from really good universities neil williams is one of the researchers at uc davis that is leading this research mm. globally and there are farmers that are starting to be conscious about this and mm. willing to give back to to, right. to the environment uh, because they know that they're taking lots of resources to produce their almonds yeah and they want to produce them with a more with more consciousness about the environment and, and wool farming is one of those almond farming companies leading this trend how big a deal is almond milk in terms of creating demand because almonds like you know every, there's been almonds around forever but it doesn't feel like um, there's been this massive increase in almond demand, or maybe there has, but it does feel like almond milk and kind of the the quote unquote other milks, yeah, <laughs> seem to have created a step up in demand. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, there's, there's I think the almond milk, it's a it's a really it's a business case of how how consumers shift their mindset yeah. so fast. Yeah. With such a, a really good product, it comes with from almonds, basically. Almonds in, in the U.S. 
uh, are almost one million acres of trees planted, yeah. which again is 80% of the almonds in the world. This is roughly a $5 billion industry and almond milk is roughly between one and two. Really? Uh, yeah, it's it's growing wow. dramatically. Because I feel like fast. even five years ago, maybe 10 years ago, certainly almond milk was, I, mean, I don't even know if you could find it, but it feels like now it's everywhere, but it, that's yeah. quite quick. There are really large farming companies that are getting into into the almond milk industry, not only as as producers of almonds that commercialize the almonds to large brand companies like Danone or or even farming companies as Blue Diamonds, uh, yeah. who they, they produce their own milk with their own brand. So you have both cases. Right, right, uh, right. But this is, this is happening. And then the last question I had was, um, we were talking before we started recording about the palm oil industry, which they had. Palm oil, like, grew up quite quickly. There was huge demand, and then people were like, oh, no, this is actually an environmental disaster. You need to do something about this. And then the brands like Nestle were like, kind of put a stop to some of it by saying, okay, we're not going to take your palm oil unless you do X, Y, and Z things to show that this is sustainable, et cetera. Are we seeing something similar happening happening now with almonds, for example? Yeah, of course. This is public, by, but Danone, uh, it's involved in, in pollinators' health. They want to produce almond milk that was... The almonds were produced with, with environmental consciousness right. and, and good uh, sustainability farming practices. So, yeah, uh, this is happening because if those companies don't innovate or, or do not um, demand those practices to their customers uh, yeah. and to their supply chain, basically, the customers like are demanding that. Right? And right. There's a consumer shift towards organic food. Yeah. Uh, even younger generations, I'm 28, but, but my sister that is 21, uh, she only wants organic. Yeah. Basically, yeah, yeah. and probably if you have kids of fifteen years old, like my investor was talking to me last night, and we were talking about basically that, yeah, they only want healthy food. They have to. If not, yeah. their competition will will, will yeah. win. Yeah, yeah, and that's recent. That kind of that awakening in terms of like, because almond milk isn't something you think about. Like, oh, this could be. It's not an obvious one. Yeah. But that awakening, is that quite recent? Yes. There was a very interesting article from The Guardian uh, related to how how farmers are managing almond pollination and almond milk. And there's a lot of good things about farmers using bees, but there's a lot of bad things about mm-hmm. how bringing bees from all over the U.S. to California is generating also lots of environmental problems. Because guess what? Like, having billions of bees suddenly get into a region yeah what can generate like it can make other wild bees um be gone because yeah. this this massive bee species came silently and uh, moving bees in trucks in semis 400 beehives in one single truck for three days from florida to california do you think that's Sustainable? Do you think that's yeah, that that's crazy. Th- how how the bees feel about it? 
they're getting stressed being in a truck yeah. three days. That's not natural. No. Because of that, there is a need for almond farmers uh, to be more conscious about how they're managing their pollination. Yeah. Are you yeah. still going to rent bees from Florida or are you going to start developing uh, more sustainable farming practices, growing hedgerows, promoting pollinators all year around in your farms to restore what was happening decades ago? That's totally feasible because there's research that is shown that, that that's potentially a solution. Right. We should all and we... yours is one of them to kind of basically be superfood. Yeah. And we are part of trying to add to this this, right. this solution, basically, because we have these this unique molecules that we have developed and we patented. But we're also spending and investing a lot of our of money in R and D to understand better about the interaction between bees and flowers, to understand better about other bee species than honeybees, uh, because we are farmers are not paying bee flow for our molecules. They don't want yeah. bee flow because of what we have or what we feed the bees. They understand that this challenge needs to have a holistic solution behind where a lot of factors need to be considered. And so just finally on the molecules themselves, this the food that you're giving them, where do those come from? How are they produced? We produce them in, in LA where we have our office. They're plant-based molecules, so we buy them from some vendors and we mix, we have our own recipe, and we add that to the sugar syrup. But is it... There's no to, bio or manufacturing process. There's not. Really easy. So what is it extracted from? From plants. You can buy it, actually, from a vendor that ha- already sells you uh, the extracted molecules. And, and who do they have, usually sell their, those molecules to? They sell them as well to treat plants on plants health Mm -hmm. so these are molecules related to plants health basically that we found that there was a a strong relationship between plants health and bees health so basically these molecules are used for that purposes as well as also for for human health Mm. Uh, there are some companies using these molecules for for human health as supplements so we found that there were some key molecules that we, if we put them together we could potentially develop healthier bees right. and so we started doing trials during the PhD of one way partners who is a bee biologist he has been studying these molecules for more than three years and even more years actually before bee flow started starting in the lab watching bees cells in the microscope mm. understanding what was the behavior of bees biology exposed to this new feed and then we scaled these these molecules into a basically small scale lab experiment and then we took it to the field and we validated that it wasn't doing something wrong to the bees actually it was benefit benefiting the bees because and just think about this adding sugar water to the bees is not feeding the bees with a natural thing we as humans harvest honey from beehives and the honey is being produced by bees to feed themselves right uh, where there's no nectar like in winter they feed themselves uh, with honey but we take it out and we feed them with water plus sugar do you think that has all the nutrients right 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 that nectar has Uh, no more than honey has 
That's why we understood that there was a need to improve that feed. Gotcha. Uh, and just by adding some molecules, you could make a substantial improvement on the quality of that sugar. Gotcha. Well, let's go see some bees. <laughs> let's go. Have fun. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thank you. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers. Airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hi, my name is Morgan Wolf. I am part of Harris Wolf California Almonds, but I'm also part of Wolf Farming Company. Wolf Farming Company is a vertically integrated family-owned farming company in the Central Valley of California. How long have you guys been doing it? We've been in business since the 70s. My grandfather has been involved since before that. We've been sort of focused on almonds, pistachios, wine grapes, a lot of sort of value-added crops. And can you talk about the almond industry? Um, Because obviously we're here at kind of ground zero, right, for the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so California represents over 80% of global almond production. So this is really, I mean, any kind of seismic activity that takes place with almonds happens here. You know, whereas a lot of other commodities are publicly traded, a lot of what the almond price itself is sort of based off of, you know, the pricing or the weather or trends in California in particular. So, yeah, it um, represents roughly 80%. I think, I want to say there's just over 1.4 million acres of almonds currently in the ground in California. And, you know, I think there's there's continued interest in continuing to grow the industry here. Can you talk about perspective you have on just like the importance of bees and how that has changed? Because it does feel like there's a lot of issues, which a lot of our listeners in the UK will know about, around colony collapse, et cetera, mm-hmm. and what role they play in what you guys do and also just like, you know, the availability of it. I was talking with Matias about how he's like, there's this great bee migration that seems to happen once a year. Absolutely. I mean, maybe this is a little tangential as well, but, you know, a lot of, you know, you can find a lot of information about sort of greater trends of what's happening with beekeepers in the United States. So much of it also has to do, deals with the fact that we're importing quite a bit of honey now. And so... Pollination services is ending up being a much larger component of beekeepers' livelihoods. And the industry that requires the most pollination services is the almond industry. Oh, Uh, really? Yes. Yes. It... um, Right now, for that 1.4 million acres, you know, it's suggested that you have roughly two hives per acre. You know, so that ends up being quite a bit of hives that are all... 2.8 million hives. mm Mm-hmm. That all... And, you know... Basically, what ends up happening is you have a lot of beekeepers that are renting their hives out to various different growers and then throughout bloom are moving it dependent on where the needs be. And then afterwards, sort of after that pollination, move up north and sort of cycle through, I believe, like the Dakotas, sort of go back down and then just repeat over and over and over again. Right. And bees are more expensive than they used to be. Absolutely. It's really, you know, a product of just supply, you know, and demand. So you have more acreage and then if you have fluctuations in bee populations, you know, there's sort of a sense of like, okay, you know, because, you know, we're having to move them around a lot more or, 
you know, XYZ, you know, beekeepers are charging higher and higher prices. Right. You referenced earlier some kind of certification. Yes. Can you explain what it is and how it works? Yeah. So we work with the Xerces Society. It's a invertebrate sort of conservation oriented um, NGO. You know, their whole MO is like, okay, California alone has so many native pollinators along with, you know, things like honeybees. How do we ensure that they continue to uh, exist? How do they, you know, just because I think a lot of folks have, you know, probably aren't aware that there's a lot of solitary bees out there or things that help, you know, pollinate plants. They've been around for a little while. They're now developing the Be Better certificate. And there's a few other groups that are also producing certificates. Is this kind of like a dolphin safe tuna type of thing? Exactly. So they're doing it with um, Be Better. And what basically Be Better communicates is this farm is growing X amount of acreage dedicated or that has pollinator friendly plants. Sort of so extra like hedges and flowering plants could, and things like this. Yeah, exactly. Hedgerows, uh, wildflowers, you know, there's regulations regarding what kind of, if you have like uh, agrochemicals or things, what right. you can use, what you can't use. And, you know, a lot of, I mean, the certificate is very, very new. I think last year was the first time a brand ever had it on. Yeah, because I don't think I've, I wouldn't, I haven't seen it. I don't recognize hearing it mm-hmm. until it's, it's, today. It's yeah. sort of just taking off. And there's a few other groups that are doing, approaching the problem as well. Realistically, we'll just be seeing it more often on the front of packaging. Right. And whether that be through Be Better, whether that be, there's a Pollinator Partnerships, one of them, or, you know, who knows, there might be other programs out there. And, and full disclosure, I don't know if this is a, I was also asked to be on the advisory board of Be Better Certificate. Gotcha. So, oh, cool. Uh, yeah, so which is, which is great because, you know, it's a lot of conversations about, like, okay, how do you get because a lot of these costs and sort of similar to other certificates ultimately are on the supply chain partners are ultimately on the farmers to to you know plant hedgerows or maintain them or gather data which is more money it's more just more money and so if you have if it's you know getting more and more competitive for farmers to participate you know these programs how do you get them to jump in how do you Mm. get them to participate because you you can't really build a certificate if you don't have the volume. Yeah. But it's going to be hard to build the volume if you can't, you know, assure that like this is going to be uh, where it's going to work out for you in the yeah. end. And so I think that's currently what's being figured out. And for us, you know, we anticipate it's going to be figured out. You know, I think it's pr- realistically it's going to be a mix of habitat. I think it's going to be honestly utilizing technologies that help us better understand what's going on with pollinators so you know working with groups like bee flow and, yeah and i think it's going to be ultimately figuring out how do we reduce the dependence on bees in total and i think that's what's is that going- possible yes there's um currently a growing trend in the almond industry towards self-pollinating varieties and though they are not they're not like a hundred percent there by any means. You know, a lot of these have the potential to reduce, you know, the amount of beehives you need by roughly half. Actually, Bee Flow is the one that did um, the first to really introduce a study on this. Mm. I think it's in Nature magazine. It just came out. Right. From like a liberal standpoint, if you think like, okay, hypothetically, if everybody in the almond industry down the line was able to reduce, you know, 
by half. By half. I mean, that's that's a pretty seismic chunk, uh, or a pretty seismic stress reduction on bees. You know, there's still a lot to be, to learn about, like you know, what's ultimately affecting bee health. It's fair to assume, like it's some kind of cocktail of weather conditions, mites, you know, agrochemical use, traveling all the time to, mm. you know, all around, yeah. like. One thing that's pretty easy to come to some kind of general consensus on is that, you know, continuing to put stress on bees is probably leading to them being weaker or yeah. thinking about leaving the hive, you know, with like things like colony collapse disorder. Right, um, right, right. Yeah. And so basically we're just trying to figure out ways that right. they, they want to hang out. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, especially with bees in particular, like one thing that has sort of driven me to be involved with agriculture in California in particular is a lot of what happens here sort of affects how agriculture is yeah. done in other places in the world. I like the idea of being part of an industry that's sort of piloting a lot of these projects yeah. to better understand like, you know, how could like we figure out how this works in the almond industry. I mean, this is something that could potentially work in other industries that require pollinators. And I mean, definitely when you talk to like Matthias, who's been doing stuff in the berry industry as mm. well. And I mean, I think that's where he sees a lot of yeah. excitement for being involved with this sort of emerging like bee health space. And then lastly, on the question on water, what is the situation with the almond industry relative to kind of water, water rights in California? Because I know that is a huge issue whenever you drive through kind of... Mm-hmm. The central value, you see the signs. Oh, totally. Pray for water, yeah, uh, yeah. water rights for farmers, etc. It's obviously a huge issue. The bee issue is big. The water issue is the biggest issue. Yeah. As somebody that works in the almond industry, it's hard not to go to a bar, tell somebody, hey, I work in almonds, and then immediately get the, like, oh, I heard, like, an almond uses a gallon of water question. You know, when that, you know, when that, that sort of news came out and when there was the whole concern over water use in the almond industry, I don't think necessarily a lot of it was fair mm-hmm. or, you know, necessarily um, fully factual, I guess, or fully understood, like, the realities of, you know, water use for almonds. But, you know, I think it's also fair to assume that the largest crop in California, that's a permanent crop, that's a tree, is going to use a lot of water. Yeah. That being said, yeah, it's of utmost importance to definitely my family, every grower, and especially just anticipating that if we continue to have massive swings in water availability and, frankly, massive fluctuations in temperature, Yeah, you know, I think it's fair to assume that we're probably going to have longer periods of drought every so often. And so, how, like, what do you do to best anticipate that? especially if you have tree crops like this. Yeah. And so for us, you know, it's a lot of it's just figuring out better technologies to regulate, you know, our water use, figuring out what are the best moments to water, figuring mm. out, you know, how to use less of it. I think ultimately it's going to continue to require, you know, just a lot of investigation and a lot of constantly looking for the best kind of solution. And ultimately, I mean, I think a lot, especially there's going to be well water regulation, which has been sort of almost like the uh, last option for a lot of growers. And with regulation of that for, I mean, I think it's fair to assume some growers are probably going to try to get out of agriculture just with not really having access to the resources they need to, to have a farm. Yeah. And so I think there's I mean, I don't know if this is necessarily the best or the most well-rounded answer, but 
you know, it's just figuring out how to use less to, yeah. you know, make it happen. And, you know, I think also to jump on it as soon as possible. Like, you know, it's great that we had like a, a nice summer last year, but all the news that's coming out is indicating that like, oh, it could be a pretty hot one this yeah. time, you know, this yeah. time around. I mean, every time we're talking to like a company, yeah. this is the question. The question. Yeah. Right. That's something that like, yeah, I think it's fair to say that we're, you know, extremely anxious about. Well, I wish you luck with all of it. You yeah. It's uh, juggling a lot of balls. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's so easy. It's so easy to figure <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, That's but, great. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. And that is all the time we have. So I hope you enjoyed. It was really fun. It was better than a day in the office being out in Almond Country. I want to thank Matthias and Morgan for taking the time to talk to Gabriella, our photographer for driving, and you for listening. And I will leave you with just a little factoid that Matthias dropped while we're all being swarmed by angry Apis Melifora. I think that's right. Anyhow, have a good one. So I know I know beekeepers that have by themselves 1,000 hives. They don't have employees. They make $200,000 in three weeks. Yeah. I'm Revenue. Wrong, I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> the train is now approaching. Junction at platform. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.